Hi, writers. Welcome to our new episode on writing fiction, both novels and short stories. This is Jim Thayer. I want to mention again a critical writing technique, maybe the most important writing technique I ever talk about, because getting it wrong ruins our chances for finding an agent and getting published. This mistake is profound, and the mistake is easy to avoid if we're aware of it, and avoiding it or fixing it is simple. If you were to ask me what's the one most important advice you can give a writer about his or her novel, what would it be? It's this, and let me mention it again. A friend sent me the first chapter of a novel he was beginning to write. He is a good sentence-by-sentence writer, a really good one, and he makes sharp observations and he sets them out with Strong and sometimes lovely phrases. It's a nice skill to have, and he has it. The problem was, and I mentioned this to him in in as kind of a way as possible, the problem was that nothing happened in his first chapter, the first 15 pages. The novel is set in a big city in the early 1900, and it involves police and gangs, it's a strong setting and a, an engaging subject. But in the first chapter, the protagonist sits in a carriage and watches the street scene and makes some observations about life in the city and some comments on his boss, a gang boss. And also there are uh, sentences about the protagonist's history, which is to say backstory. In other words, there was no action, no tension, And the reader ends the first chapter without knowing what the main story question is, that is, what the novel is about. The literary agent Donald Moss has written, quote, The number one mistake I see in manuscript submissions is a failure to put the main conflict in place quickly enough. In fact, it's the primary reason I reject over 90% of the material I receive. Why do so many writers fail on this point? It's such a simple flaw to fix. That's the agent Donald Moss. Here's how this mistake happens for us writers. Many writers feel the need to set up things before launching the story's main tension. It's a powerful urge, and for many new writers, it's an irresistible urge. The, the writer can't seem to get the story going, going without establishing a lot of elements. So uh, the new writer will write backstory, which is stuff that happened earlier, such as a history of the characters. And they'll write other explanations and long-setting descriptions and interior monologue, which is the character thinking about things. The writer thinks the story needs foundation right away to make things clear to the reader. But storytelling isn't architecture. In crafting a novel, early foundation is a mistake. We don't need to build a foundation before beginning the main storyline, the action that addresses the main story question. So instead of starting with a bad guy entering the bank to rob it, the new author, who is making this mistake, writes about the villain's history, 
and the bank's history, maybe the town's history, and then how the villain got to the bank, and something of what made him turn to, turn to crime, and, and maybe some thoughts about crime in America. Instead of writing the wonderful scene where the Here's another example. Instead of writing the wonderful scene where uh, the heroine meets the man she will f- fall desperately in love with and, and who eventually will lose and then eventually get him back, the writer begins with some of the heroine's past, maybe a big description of the musical theater lobby where they will meet uh, and how her mother wants the protagonist to marry the fellow across the street who, who what? is an oncology resident at a hospital. And she'll write about how her mother was left by her father 10 years ago and how it turned her mother eternally bitter. And some comments on love in the modern era. I have freelanced, edited dozens of novels where the author has made precisely this mistake of not getting the novel going in the first place filling the first pages with material that should be saved for later or not written about at all. It's all a mistake. If that stuff, the the backstory, say about the hero's history and the character's ruminations and the explanations, if that stuff is important to the novel, here's the key. The reader can wait. This is so important It isn't necessary to tell the reader everything right away. Uh, Unlike in architecture and building construction, where the foundation of a building is laid first, the foundation of a novel, the character's histories and long explanations of this or that, uh, the character's thoughts about how things are in her world, these things can wait for later. With new writers, the urge to build the protagonist's world first is very powerful, and it's wrong to submit to the urge. The main point here, and it's critical, is to get your story going, usually with action and maybe dialogue, right away. Let the reader know what's at stake for your hero up front. In the novel's early pages, have uh, the hero do something important or suffer something important. It's hard to go wrong with action, something big for the reader to watch. We should let the reader know in the first chapter what the story question is, which means let the reader know right away what the protagonist wants and can't have. Will she escape? Will she get revenge? Will she survive? Will she find her family? Uh, Will she get out of this terrible relationship? Put this main story question right in front of the reader in the first pages. Let the reader know what's at stake in the novel. We writers should resist the urge, and it's tough, believe me, to set up everything before putting the story in motion. And why is this so important? Because if we do our first chapter wrongly, that's as far as an agent or editor will read. If we make the mistake of putting backstory and lots of interior monologue about how the character feels about things, the rest of the novel can't save us, 
can't say the novel because agents and editors won't read beyond this big blunder in the first pages. And it telegraphs to agents and editors that the writer doesn't know how to write. And it's cruel. We as the writer have worked hard for a long time to write a 350-page novel, but we've made this big error in our first chapter, which means the agent or editor won't read beyond page 8. I've mentioned this subject before, and I know I'm a dog with a bone about it, but I am because it's so important. But if we are aware of the problem, it's easy to fix, as Donald Moss says. Cut out the backstory and interior monologue and long explanations and get the story going in the first chapter. Let the reader know what's at stake right away with story. The best way to do that is action and dialogue about the main story question in the first chapter. There, <laughs> I'm winding down. I've, I've got it out of my system. Let's go on to something else. Let's talk about showing versus telling regarding emotions and thoughts. Sometimes we readers need to let the reader know what a character is thinking and what's, what's going on in the character's mind. And so sometimes we write, if we don't know better, Danny was confused. This sentence is telling rather than showing and is weak, and it gives the point of view to Danny, if he didn't have it, which we might not want to do in the scene if he's not the point-of-view character. I want to mention how important knowing how to show is in keeping our point-of-view tight. That is, keeping the point-of-view with the point-of-view character. So this is two subjects. It's the same subjects, but it's two. It's point-of-view and showing as opposed to telling, and they're both important. The point-of-view character is usually the protagonist or the main character in a scene. It's the character uh, through whom the reader is seeing and hearing things and whose thoughts the reader can read. Uh, the reader is inside the point-of-view uh, point character's mind. We want the point-of-view to stay with one character in a scene. A jumpy point of view where the reader can hear one character's thoughts and then another character's thoughts in the same scene is considered poor technique. Uh, a jumpy point of view gives a scene a dizzying quality with, uh, with an unreal uh, quality as if magic were involved in reading a couple of people's minds. And we want to avoid those impressions in our scene. We can often show as opposed to tell, what a character is thinking without visiting the character's mind, which is particularly useful if that character is not the point-of-view character. For example, let's say Tom Sawyer is our point-of-view character. We want the reader to stay inside Tom's mind, listening to his thoughts and seeing and hearing what he sees and hears. We don't want the point-of-view to jump to Huckleberry Finn in the same scene because a jumpy point of view is weak writing. So instead of writing Huck's feet hurt, which instantly gives the point of view to Huck, we write Huck limped along. Here the point of view character Tom is observing Huckleberry limp, so we learn Huck's feet hurt without visiting Huck's mind. Showing what a character is thinking rather than telling 
is almost always a good technique, and it's particularly strong, necessary really, when the character is the non-point-of-view character. Let's talk about how to show the reader what a character is thinking, or her emotions or her reactions, without visiting her mind. Here is telling. Huckleberry's headache was severe. If our point-of-view character is Tom, this sentence, Huckleberry's headache was severe, instantly gives the point-of-view to Huckleberry. Here's showing the same thing. Huckleberry held his head between his hands and groaned. Given the context of the scene, the reader will know why Huckleberry is doing this. Here's another sentence. Huckleberry was startled. That's telling, and it gives the point of view to Huck. Instead, we should write, Huckleberry's eyes widened. Here, too, a lot of things might make Huck's eyes widen. Maybe he's exasperated, or maybe his slingshot broke. Or, uh, But the scene where this happens will give the action context. The reader will know why his, hi- why his eyes widen. So Tom is our point-of-view character. Huckleberry wondered about Tom. That's telling, and the phrase Huckleberry wondered instantly gives the point-of-view to Huck. Because as written, the reader has visited Huck's mind to learn he's wondering. Instead, we should try this. Huckleberry stared at Tom. That's enough. The phrase Huckleberry stared at Tom doesn't give him the point-of-view. Why does someone stare because he's wondering. Here's another sentence. Huckleberry thought it was funny. Well, that's telling, and it switches the point of view from Tom to Huck. Instead, we should try Huckleberry laughed. This is showing, and it's a strong image. It's a nice image, and it keeps the point of view away from Huck. It keeps it with Tom. So our our point of view character is Tom Sawyer, The sentence, Huckleberry's tooth hurt, is telling, and it gives a point of view to Huck, because we're inside his his mind. Instead, we should try, Huckleberry said, quote, I've got a bad toothache, end quote. This dialogue doesn't give the point of view to Tom, and we learn Huck's got a toothache. Huckleberry loved cats. Well, that's telling, and it might give the point of view to Huck. This is showing. Huckleberry smiled and bent to scratch the cat's head. This sentence doesn't switch the point of of view away from Tom to Huck, and it's a nice image. Here is telling. Huckleberry was tired. Not only is it telling, but it gives the point of view to Huck. It takes the point of view away from Tom and gives it to Huck, which we don't want in this scene. Here's showing the same thing. Huckleberry yawned and sank into the chair. Huck yawning and sinking into a chair is showing, and it gives, and it doesn't give Huck the point of view. Uh, you know showing rather than telling is important, judging from the number of times I visit the topic. Not only is showing more engaging for the reader, because showing lets the reader draw her own conclusions about the evidence, But showing is also a strong technique to help keep the point of view tight. To let the reader know what a non-point-of-view character is thinking, we can show. 
If Tom Sawyer has the point of view in the story, Huckleberry itched gives Huck the point of view. Huckleberry scratched his arm, keeps the point of view with Tom where it belongs in the scene. Here is a funny little technique, yeah, a mistake. It's called the dialogue redundancy. It's a description in the narrative, which is the author's words, of what the character is about to say in dialogue. Sometimes we writers will unnecessarily describe what our character is about to say. I do this once in a while, and I laugh when I catch myself in my editing. Here's an example. Johnson criticized the project. Quote, the range of an ultralight searchlight would be much less than what their scientists were claiming, end quote. Johnson criticized the project as a dialogue redundancy, because we then hear Johnson criticizing the project in his own words. Here's another example. Anna didn't like Joey sneaking into the house and said, You scared me silly. Knock next time. That's a dialogue redundancy. Here's another one. Travis told the, do <laughs> Travis told the doctor his symptoms. Quote, I wake up six or seven times a night and can't get back to sleep because of the itching. Well, We've just heard Travis complain to the doctor. There's no need to write in advance. Travis told the doctor his symptoms. It's redundant. Here's another one. Smith wondered about the project. Quote, How will they get the dynamite into the well? The lift hasn't worked in years. It seems dangerous to me. End quote. Here, Smith wondered about the project. There's no need to write that because we then hear Smith wondering about the project. Another one. Adam's worried about the weather. Those black clouds are coming from the southwest. They usually bring trouble. I'm going to put plywood over the windows. Well, that's a pretty good dialogue. He's worried about the weather. So there's no use to, in advance, say Adam's worried about the weather. Here's another one. Mrs. Forbisher talked to her cats. Quote, Here you are, kitty. I bought canned salmon for you this time. It's better than those kibbles, isn't it? Don't eat too much now. Well, that's nice dialogue. But we don't need to proceed it with Mrs. Forbisher talk to her cats because then the reader immediately hears her talking to her cats. Here's the last one. <laughs> Jones counted the money. Quote, 80, 90, 100 dollars, and let's see, 25, 35, 38 cents. Jones counted the money is redundant because we then listen to Jones count the money with 80, 90, 100. When the character is about to say something, the writer doesn't need to precede it with an explanation of what the character is about to say. Usually. This is a small thing, but once in a while I run across it in my own reading and it sticks out. Once in a while I catch myself doing it and it sticks out there too. Let's talk about the moon. After many years of cogitation in the role of a philosopher, Socrates really, I've concluded that fun is good. Want to have some fun? When my daughter Alex was three years old, I was carrying her up the steps from the driveway and she pointed at the night sky and said, I love the moon. And there the full moon was at the end of her finger. This is a, a 
precious memory for me. And come to think of it, I love the moon too, and maybe you do as well. Here's the fun. We can use the moon as a centerpiece to create uh, to create metaphors and similes and analogies and other phrases as practice. Uh, writing can be practice, and this might be a good two-minute practice. Here's what I can come up with. As silent as the moon. Isn't that lovely? I don't know whether I invented that phrase or whether I remember it from something I read. It's so good I'm probably remembering it. As round as the moon. As yellow as the moon. No, those aren't too good. But how about as slow as the moon? That's pretty good. As pocked as the moon. When you look at the moon, it's pocked. As mysterious as the moon. As remote as the moon. As steady as the moon. As grand as the moon. As peaceful as the moon. Isn't that nice? He was as uninterested as is the moon. We can consider coming up with a dozen of these using the moon. It's good practice. It'll engage our brains and get the words flowing. And that's the important part. We can get into the habit of putting out words. If we practice getting going when it's time to start our novel or our new chapter or our short story, we'll be able to get going, get the words onto the screen because we've been we've practiced at getting going describing the moon is good practice we have come to the end of this podcast i'm sure glad you were along for it if you'd like to send me a an email message my address is jim fair seattle at gmail.com Until next time, this is Jim Thayer. Please keep tapping those keys.